Matthew chapter 28, we're in a series that's called Who We Are, and this is about fluencies. I married a Puerto Rican, and it was a great breakthrough in my life when I became fluent, more or less, in Spanish. Because I would walk into rooms where I was previously inadequate, futile, and frustrated. And then when I would hear the word Mike, and I would hear the laughter, I was able to say, I know what you just said. Because I was now fluent. And there's something wonderful about becoming fluent in the grace of God, or fluent in the scriptures, or fluent in the spirit of God. Today we're going to talk about the discipleship fluency. From Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. To bring you up to speed, Jesus has died on a cross, been buried, he's risen from the dead, he's appeared to some ladies, who has instructed them to tell them to meet him up on a mountain in Galilee, some miles away from Jerusalem where they were. They've now made the trek all the way to Galilee, up onto a mountain, It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, verse 17, but some doubted. Don't you love the fact that God can handle our doubts? By the way, if you think that if you saw him, you would believe, that's never going to be enough either. God will even take you with your doubts. Are there any doubters in the room today? Any doubters online? God can handle your doubts. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's talk about discipleship. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. And let me tell you about one of the One of the earlier things that God used to stir my heart for justice, I was watching a movie called Hotel Rwanda. Who saw the movie Hotel Rwanda? Anyone see that movie? In reading history, you'll get this, but in watching the movie, you see this in vivid description where the genocide that took place, the tribal conflict that was happening in Rwanda as humans were killing other humans, it was absolutely tragic and wrong and evil in the world in a lot of ways watched as this took place. But I was reading from a church conference that took place subsequent after this had happened, and they were trying to figure out what in the world happened. Because Rwanda, before the genocide, had been the picture of what you would call the evangelical church's success. The evangelical church had made its way into Rwanda and evangelization had taken place and many people had claimed to become Christians. And there were many people that had really affirmed their allegiance to the religion of Christianity. And the question was, how do we explain such widespread Christianity And it wasn't just evangelicals, there was Catholics, there was all sorts of people that were in there. But how do do we explain such widespread Christianity and yet a genocide would still take place? That Christianity has expanded and yet the culture has not been changed. And they debated this for some time, but at one point one individual stood up and, and finally 
gave a, a description of what they thought was the problem as they said, I, I have noticed this. We came to Rwanda and we made Christians, but we never made disciples. We made converts, but we never made disciples. And this is where I'm really going with this message today because if you want to make a difference, you're going to have to make disciples. I mean, that's really the essence of where I'm going to go today. If you actually want to make a difference with justice, I'm saying in the long run, you're going to have to make disciples. If you want to make a difference when it, in your family, you're going to have to make disciples. If you want to make a difference, you need to not just make Christians, you need to actually make disciples. Now, discipleship begins right here in verse 17. It says, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Now, this is interesting. This is Jesus who was born in a manger, and they are worshiping him. And I just want to kind of point to Jesus for a moment here because I, it, this is not going to make sense unless you understand as I'm talking about discipleship right now, I'm pointing to him. This is the one that in Isaiah 42, the prophet Isaiah prophesied and said, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. This is what God said about the coming Messiah, which would be Jesus. This is in Matthew 3 when a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the one in Hebrews 1, it says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds, check this out, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is why Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. None of this is going to make sense until we understand that the one that we're speaking of now, the reason they would worship is that they were looking at someone that was so worthy and they knew it. I'm going to ask us today to forsake everything to follow Jesus. But you'll never do it unless you see how beautiful he is. You'll never do it unless you realize he is the radiance of the glory of God. You won't do it unless you realize the universe is held together by the power of his word. That he opens his mouth and the universe is held together. That he spoke and the mountains are created and the supernovas were made. There is no one like God. There is no one like the Lord. This is why it says in verse 18, Jesus came and said, all authority. Everyone say authority. This is where we get the word author. This means Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author that you want. You don't want to be the author of your story. You've already got a good author of your story. You want to be the, the pen and the hand of a writing God who writes amazing stories. Every time you try to write your own story, you're going to jack it up. Every time you try to write your own story, you will mess this thing up. But the author, the one that has all authority, all the authority, he says, it belongs to me. He is the author. He is everything. He is preeminent. He is over all things. All things were made for him. All things were made by him. There is nothing that was made that was not made by Jesus. This is why they worshiped him. Even today, we worship Jesus. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the King of Kings. Hallelujah to the Lord of Lords. 
Our church and this Christian life make no sense outside of a radical, Jesus-centered, Christocentric passion to follow him. What is a disciple? The, the Hebrew word for disciple would be Talmud. The word disciple, it, it means it's a learner, it's a student, but it's more than that. It's like an apprentice, but it's, it's even more than that because there is no apprentice. A, an apprentice, when someone becomes an apprentice, it's, it's distinct from a student. Someone may read a book about plumbing, but that is different than someone that has learned plumbing. Someone may read the words about plumbing and they know about pipes and they've learned how to stop a clog and unstop a clog. But when someone, if your house is sinking under the weight of all this water that's flooding, I don't want someone that says, I've read a bunch of books on plumbing. I, wanna, I want someone coming to my house who has been an apprentice of a great plumber. And I don't even want someone on their first trip. I don't want this to be their first rodeo. I want someone that laughs at the laughs at the water that's flooding and says, this water is nothing up to me because trust me, I know what I'm doing. A disciple is someone that has determined they don't just want to learn about their rabbi, they want to become just like their plumbing rabbi. They want to be able to pull off what the plumber pulls off. They want to pull off what the electrician pulls off. They want to pull off what their rabbi pulls off. The difference between a student and a disciple in many ways could not be larger. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is obsessed with Jesus. Let me put it like this because this might frame the entire sermon. A disciple is someone, you might want to write this down, a disciple is someone who intends to live their life exactly like Jesus would if he was living in their body because he is. A disciple is someone who has decided, I want to live my life exactly like Jesus would if he was living in my body, because he is. A lot of times, well, when we look at Jesus' life, we see a life of worship, that he was very, it was very much toward heaven, it was Godward, that it was a life of mission, and it was a life of community. We call this living in the green. Disciples are people who live and reproduce living in the green. Disciples are people who have decided to live exactly like Jesus would if he was in their body because if you put your faith in Jesus, he is living in your body. So how do we do this? Well, this passage is the quintessential, the, the, the greatest passage perhaps in all of Scripture to give us the snapshot because we have what's called the Great Commission here to go make disciples. There is one command that is surrounded by three participles in this passage that gives us the how-to of making disciples. The, the great command, and it is a command, is to go make, it's to make disciples. That's the mandate, el mandato. El mandato, hacer discípulos, to, to make disciples. This is the great mandate of Jesus. Can we just say make disciples? It, it's a good thing to make disciples. See, it's to, it's to reproduce the image of Jesus in other people, to see this happen. It's one command, it's one mandate, one, one commission, but it's surrounded by, it's in the Greek, we have three different participles. We read the word go, but the word go in verse 19 is really a participle. It's, it's actually going. It's, in other words, going, therefore, make disciples, that's the mandate, baptizing and teaching. One mandate, make disciples, three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. How do you make disciples? By going, 
by baptizing and teaching. And that's kind of where I want to go from with this today because Jesus does not command, he did not command us to go make money. He did not command us to go make Christians. He did not command us to build buildings. He did not command us to go make sermons. He did not command us to drill wells. He did not command us to teach English. He did not command us to, to live a safe life. He did not command us to live cool lives, to live long lives. He did not command us to do a lot of the good things that we do. He did not command us to go play football, go play baseball, go play pickleball. All of those things may be fine. You're welcome to do all of those. But the commission on the floor from the risen Jesus, who has all of the authority, is this. I got all the authority in heaven and earth, and here is my final words. Go make disciples. Amen. And I want us as a church, and the vision of our church is not to have rooms full of Christians who barely know him, but to have exploding groups of disciples who, because we know him, Cannot wait to see this reproduced in the world around us. So let's talk about going first. Going. Everyone say going. Going is both intentional and occasional. It's, it's intentional and it's, it's spontaneous. It's, it's planned and structured and it's all sp spontaneous and, and just and when it happens. Next week, you're going to hear about the, the mandate to take the gospel to the nations of the earth. But right now, I want to kind of make clear that there's an essence of this, that where we find undiscipled people, we need to disciple those people. Where we find the unreached, we reach them. The untouched, we, we bring the gospel to them. When we find those that have not been discipled, we disciple them. There is, a, I would say, an epidemic right now of a Christian culture that builds on so many other people's foundations. The Apostle Paul said, I don't want to go build on other people's foundations. I want to go and bring the gospel, and I want to go and make disciples where they have not yet been made. Let me say it clearly. Parents, I hope your kid goes to Harvard. I hope your kid gets into UF. I hope your kid goes to college. But your judgment day reality for you toward your children is not how educated did your children become. It will be, were your children disciples of Jesus Christ? parenting. Disciple your kids. Send them to college. All my kids know you're going to college, but I got to tell you, my mandate is go make disciples of your children. Microchurch leaders, I love it. Some of you in Orlando love um, science and even doing, like, looking at how God and science come together. That is wonderful. But make disciples using science. Make disciples coaches using sports. Make disciples. Make disciples is the mandate. It is the command of the all-authoritative, risen from the dead, creator of the universe, Jesus himself. Going, he says. Going. This means we, we, there's a part of this that's, that we go to those that otherwise someone wouldn't get to them. Less than a month ago, we had a, a Sunday where um, out over in our kids' ministry, there was, uh, we have kids from uh, all sorts of children coming from all sorts of backgrounds. And are we in agreement that in this church, we want people to know they are welcome here? Do we agree with that, right? We want people welcome. If someone had no other, word, no other place to go. So that means we've got some children that are coming from all sorts of different backgrounds, including some challenging places. And on one week in particular, there were some real challenges taking place um, in the kids' ministry. And I'll just be honest, the kids' workers we had over there were frankly heroic. They were incredible. Some of the parents came to me thanking me, like, listen, this is the stuff that happened today. And, and uh, 
I'm just, uh, Pastor Mike, and, and I, it, it just meant the world to me. You've got, some of the, you've got parents, we've got parents taking in foster kids, we've got parents that are um, stepping out in, in all sorts of amazing, incredible ways. And I walked over to the kids' ministry, and you could t- I was like, I just want you guys to hear me say, thank you. And then I just started hearing some of the stories, and I was talking to some other parents, and there was, there was one parent that came in and going to drop off, think off some kids, but then take some other kids with them. And, and the workers are like, hey, do you want to leave your child? And it's like, well, I, I don't think he can stay. They're like, no, no, he, he can stay too. And, and literally the father started like tearing up because, wait, you've got, yeah, like we literally built our facility. If you've ever gone out to our, our playground, for example, we spent a lot of extra, we had microchurches that raised extra money so we'd have the money to build a playground where children of all abilities could come on that playground. Like, we've got rooms that are set up, and we've got, we recruit volunteers that are set up to be able to take children of, of in, wherever they're coming from, that we believe that people deserve to have Jesus and have the ability to get discipled at whatever level that they are at, wherever they're at. We want to bring Jesus and the discipleship that changes people's lives to them. And because of that, here was a dad that's like, well, I didn't think at church it was even a possibility that my kid could get dropped off at some kind of age appropriate discipleship but this is when Jesus said go and even as a church I mean maybe there's some of you in here I mean trust me they, they're like they need more workers than we have they, they need more people that are willing maybe once or twice a month you just show up and say you know what I will go to that place because we're trying we want the word to be out there if you've got a child that wants to get discipled we want to disciple them going this I think this means like Go to the same grocery store. Go to the same fitness center. Go to the, get to know your neighbors. Like go to some of the like. There's something about going. There's something. Some of you. This is not all of you. It's there's probably I don't know like 50 of you in this room that are called to go to the nations of the earth. I hope you called that. 50 of you. I'm just going to speak it in faith. Are called to go <laughs> to become missionaries to the uttermost parts of the earth because that's when Jesus is coming back. But right now, wherever you are going, don't just go. Go. Number one is going. Everyone say going. How do we make disciples? Number one, by going. Number two, by baptizing. He said baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them, this means to immerse. It means to, to, it, it's to be utterly immersed. I'm going to walk over here to, bap, to be baptized. And there might be someone here today that needs to be baptized. If you need to be baptized, it means you're, you're going to come and there's a there's an immersion that takes place. You're going to baptize them, not, not just in physical water. You're baptizing them in the name, in the character, in the power, in the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's only one name. It's the name, singular, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we say, in the name of Jesus, we are referring to the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That God is one. There are not three gods. There's only one God. But we baptize. And this is where we, we bring people to cross that line to that place of faith where they go and they become a disciple. So yesterday, uh, I, for some reason, gave my children the, my word in the morning I would make cookies. So the day's going along, and, and one of my daughters in particular, and I won't say her name because then I would owe her $5, but because I had given my word, by the end of the day, I, I had to keep my word. And, and so, we made, so I made cookies, right? So I'm making these cookies. Now, here's the catch. After making the cookies, sometimes they like sprinkles. On. Anyone like sprinkles on your cookies? It's, it's, you know, anybody like 
icing, you know, some people put icing on their cookies, whatever. Someone might put some other, whatever. When the cook, so the cookie was made, I, you know, can kind of put some other stuff on top. But here's the catch. The cookie was made before the icing gets on the cookie. The cookie was made before the sprinkles were on there. The, the cookie was, it was already a cookie. I'm afraid that we have split up what we would call evangelism and baptizing people and discipleship in a way that God never meant for them to be split up. So a lot of times what we hear people say is, well, well, someone else will go win the souls. I'll disciple them when they get here. To which I would say, wait, 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 wait. You make cookies by making cookies. Now you may sprinkle those cookies. You may ice the cake. You may improve the cookies. You may add to the cookies. But someone's got to go make the cookie. You make disciples the way you make a cake. You take nothingness and you turn it into somethingness. Jesus walks up to a guy named Peter. He's like, hey, yo, 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 your name is Simon. I'm, I'm looking at Simon right now. You know what I see in you? <laughs> Call me cookie monster. I see cookie. That's what I see right now. When I'm looking at you, I see not a fisherman. I see a fisher of men. And you know what? Everyone calls you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter because when I'm done with you, you will be so qualitatively different. They'd have to change your name from Simon to Peter to describe you correctly. In other words, to Jesus, making disciples is not merely giving already found people a little more Bible verses to win some Bible trivia contests. To make a disciple is to take flour and sugar and brown sugar and salt, and vanilla extract, and two sticks of butter. And you got to get the butter right, because if you get the butter wrong, the cookies turn out wrong. If, you know, I don't do many things well. I do cookies well. And you mix them all together, and then you put them in the oven, and then you have made chocolate chip cookies if you put the chocolate chips in there. A lot of us think discipleship happens when the cookies have already been made. A lot of American discipleship is just putting icing on the cake. I'm daring us to be a church that looks for Simons to turn them into Peters. Only Jesus can do it. Only Jesus can. I dare us to look at a, a city like Gainesville, a state like Florida, and to say, wait, wait, wait. I see flour and brown sugar and sugar and butter, but what I'm imagining is disciples. What I'm imagining is cookies. I imagine something that does not yet exist. This is what baptizing is referring to. When we're talking about baptize, ba let me read to you from Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 gives us sort of the theology of baptism. Verse 11, in him, that's Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Watch this. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, if you wanted to join God's people, here's how you join God's people. There was a sign of the, your response to God's covenant was getting circumcised. Now, does everyone know what circumcision is? Because I'm not going to explain it. All right? All I got to say is circumcision was the sign of the old covenant. We have a new covenant. Is anyone glad we're in the new covenant? Is anyone glad I'm not doing altar calls by saying, hey, if you're not in covenant with God, come on down. Back room. I got a towel. Bite down. Anyway, let me keep going. Verse 12, it said, okay, what is this circumcision made without hands that he's talking about? Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Baptism is the new covenant response to being in relationship with God. In other words, this is the message of baptism. Let me make this super clear. This is not just something you do just because. Baptism is when someone gets it. 
Baptism is one someone's like, wait, wait, wait. What? Buried with Jesus? I've got to die. This is the message of baptism. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to die to self. Deny yourself. Die to what other people think about you. Die to your sin. Die to your pride. Die to your lust. You're going to get buried. All that sin is going to kill you. It's going to, the wages of sin is death. The only answer is there is this disease inside of us called sin. Baptism represents. You know that thing inside of you has got to come out. When you get baptized, the old you dies. You repent from your sin and you repent toward your Savior that when you get baptized... When you call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and then I will be saved from my enemies. When you do that, that sin inside of you gets extracted by Jesus. That's what happens. Buried with him, anyone that watched him die, they knew it was brutal, it was gruesome, it was bloody, it was horrible, and he died. If you've ever watched someone die, it's, ugh. Baptism is beautiful, but it's beautiful only because we get them back up when we put them down. If we kept them down, it's called murder. What makes baptism so beautiful is that we don't just get buried with Jesus, we get resurrected with Jesus. And here is the whole point, friends. Right now we're having a dilemma of a world that looks at the church and says there are a bunch of hypocrites, and then we've got a church full of Christians that are like, man, this whole Jesus thing's not working very well, to which God says, I never said Christianity works, I said discipleship works. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Because disciples know that I died. The old me, he's dead. And daily, Paul would say, so you get baptized once, you die daily. But that baptism represents the old me went down. The problem with a lot of us is that the old me never went down. And then we're confused when the new me never comes up. Well, who's the new me? It's this. Disciples are people who live their lives exactly like Jesus would if he was living in their bodies because he is. This is why Jesus said, listen, y'all, I'm telling you, it's better if I go away because if I go away, the Holy Spirit's going to come. What does that mean? When the Holy Spirit comes, that's Jesus living inside of you, which is why disciples are people who live their lives exactly like Jesus would if he was in their body because he is. This is a very, very big deal with profound implications, but if you've not been baptized, let me just make it clear. Baptism is when someone goes down and they say, I am dying to what everyone else thinks about me. The only opinion that matters is God's. La única. Opinión. El único? Opinión. The only one that matters is the one of God's. So like this week, I made milkshakes at my microchurch. We had microchurch. It was at my house and... I was making milkshakes, and I care what everyone thinks. I mean, I, I, I don't do very many things well. The only things I do well <laughs> seem to be not good for you, like cookies and shakes. But I was making these, this, this milkshake, and I was making a chocolate milkshake, and I cared what everyone in the, in the microchurch thought, but there was one opinion that mattered more than anyone else's opinion. His name is Bruce. Because Bruce is like a food connoisseur. Like when, Bruce, when we had like, hey, he was hosting microchurch one day and he made like beef tenderloins for like the snack everyone was going to eat together. It's like, what in the world did you just make? You know, it was incredible. I mean, so anyone remember what kind of, it was some kind of beef. I don't even know what it's called. It was like not the stuff I buy. It was not the beef I buy when I go to Publix. Let's just say that. It was something else. All right. 
I hope everyone in my microchurch liked my chocolate milkshakes. But the one verdict I was waiting for was Bruce Almighty. <laughs> and when Bruce tasted it, he went, he said, oh, the layers of chocolate. What did you do? You know, and, and I've got this thing. I mean, it's, it's got like... It's got a little bit of ice. I've got some milk in there. I've got like, you know, 60, 80% cocoa, like, you know, powdered cocoa. It's, it's got a little bit of like, you know, ch chocolate fudge that you do from like, like a hot fudge for a top of ice cream. It's, it's got some chocolate. It's got these, and he said, oh, the, the, the layers, I, I can taste the layers. All my ears could hear was, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> and when he said that, my heart, I went, I just bubbled by, and it wouldn't have mattered if anybody else came along and said, I don't like it. It doesn't matter what you think. Bruce has already spoken. <laughs> Disciples are people who have died to the rest of it. Because there's one verdict that matters. And it's the only verdict that's going to ring throughout all of eternity. If you've not given your life to Jesus yet, it's not just giving your life. It's dying to self. It's bowing your knees, surrendering all of it and saying, Jesus, you get it all. You get my sex life, my money life, my finances, my past, my future, my thought life. You get it all. You get my parenting. You get my job. You get my career. You get the way I do. Jesus, you are the Lord. I am crossing the line. And friends, I'm not hearing enough of this with people. I'm hearing people say, if you don't want to go to hell, say a little prayer. There's no saying a little prayer to go to heaven one day. There is a dying to self. It's like you go down kicking and screaming. I won't, I won't, I don't want to. There's, my flesh doesn't want to. No, 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 I won't, I won't. You, trust me, your flesh is like, I don't want to go. That's where it's got to go. Oh, nuts, that's going to be bad. <laughs> then you come up, and when you come up, he says, then you come up to new life. <laughs> Beware of a gospel that promises resurrection without crucifixion. Beware of a faith that says things like, can I go to heaven, but I don't need to get baptized. I don't need to go all in. Friends, there's, there's, only, there's only one gospel. All in with Jesus. That is what baptism means, by the way. <laughs> that is what it means. Are you praying for people in your life to get baptized right now? You're like, oh, he's such a nice guy. Nice people don't go to heaven. It's people that have died to their old self and come alive to Jesus and been resurrected. I, I, I hope this doesn't sound odd. It's, this is the greatest news. You get baptized in Jesus, you come up alive in Jesus. So, so how do we make disciples going? We do it by, by baptizing. And then we do it by teaching. He says teaching them. But teaching them what? What does it say? Teaching them what? To observe. Teaching them to observe or to obey everything that I've commanded you. This is the difference between parents and teachers or instructors. Teachers, like I, I, I went to public school growing up, and I know there's a lot of great public school teachers in here, and it has nothing to do with public school. I'm just saying, like, I just went, I, I had a very normal education. I can tell you many teachers, I went to UF, many professors, uh, they very much felt like their job was done when they've transmitted the information. I did my job. How many of you ever had a teacher that it was clear once they 
spit out the information, they were done. Right? There's a difference between a, a teacher and a parent. I've got eight children. I've had to teach my children to sleep through the night. We've had to teach our children how to go to the bathroom in a toilet. We've had to teach our children to brush their teeth. There was nothing in me that ever said something like, you know what, I'm going to give you information about sleeping through the night. If you do it, you do it, and if you don't, you don't. I had a lot of motivation <laughs> to teach my child to observe sleeping through the night. Honey, your daddy loves you, but if you get out of your bed one more time. <laughs> in other words, I was teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And I know that's like a hard word because we're living in an age right now, and like everything goes in pendulums. There are eight, like there are times if you lived in some South American countries with dictators, they, you know, or maybe Russia during you know communism, it's all the way over on the side of like like a dictatorial authoritarian. Everyone's submissive and, and everyone thinks they're nothing. Culture right now has swung to the other side of the pendulum where now we question every authority. Even the, to use the word authority now sounds when Jesus says. All authority's been given to me. You're, it's like, who does he think he is? <laughs> By the way, answer that question. Who does he think he is? You just said it. He is. I am. That's who he is, right? <laughs> He's the one that's got all the authority. Now, by the way, I don't. Greenhouse doesn't. It's not me. It's not you. It's, he's the one that has it all. But he said we are to treat his words with authority. And we now live in a cultural moment that is taking the words of Jesus and saying, really, they're up for your interpretation and your imagination to do whatever you want to do. To which Jesus said, that's not how disciples are made. You make disciples by teaching them to observe. Now, it begins with understanding he's got authority, but then it also means if you're teaching your child, listen, I got authority, you're going to brush your teeth. Nothing in me ever said, hey, princess, I love you. Here's the information. I hope you do it. And if you don't, your teeth are going to rot out and they're going to hurt really bad. I didn't leave it there. Like when she came back, like, oh my gosh, dad, look at my teeth. They've all fallen out. I'm only six years old. I told you. Did I tell you or did I tell you? When you're a parent, you teach in a way where you give them words but you also show them your ways. So I would take them in the bathroom with me and I would say, watch what daddy's doing. And I would sit there and I would go and brush the teeth. And you'll, you're, gonna, you're gonna show them, you're gonna model, you're gonna help them, you're gonna come alongside, you're gonna, you're gonna do all these. To make a disciple is not just to tell them, it's to show them. So there's, there's a way in which teaching to observe means both bringing the words of God, which are loving your enemies, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God because God is love. There's a, there's a reproducing of the, of the words of Jesus. Love is patient. Love is kind. Wait, love is patient? Yeah, love is patient. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. It's, there's something about like you get the words, but I want you to see this. I don't think you figure it all out just by hearing the words. I think you need to see the words on display. I've been in the room. This is the phrase in my mind this week. I was in the room when I saw a guy die well. Count it all joy. I was in the room when Pastor Lastinger died. The pastor before me. Hospice nurse. His Final breaths, 
difficult, minutes away from passing on to eternity. And I was in the room when I saw this man that had preached a word that said, if you believe Jesus, there is a hope for you of eternal life, that even if you die, you won't die. I saw him say that at so many funerals. Though you die, you won't die if you believe in Jesus because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I'd heard the theology come out of his mouth. But if you could have watched the last five minutes of his life when his hands were lifted with a smile on his face, tears in his eyes as he said, oh, I miss him. I miss him. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear him say with his final breaths, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And then when he finally passed, to have the hospice nurse look at me and say, Pastor, only people that follow Jesus die like this. Watch as people die all the time. People die in a lot of ways. I was in the room getting discipled by someone that said, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And even if you die, you are going to rise again. You're going to rise again because he is who he said he is. I saw him doing it. When you could tell, it's like, it's close. It's close. I've been in the room like with my wife. One of the people that has discipled me most in this world is my, I've heard so many sermons on, who's ever heard a sermon on step out of the boat? If you want to walk on water, you got to step out of the boat. It's like a classic sermon. Jesus was on the water, walking on the water. If you watch Chosen, it's like one of the scenes, I can't remember what scene it is, one of the last episodes of The Chosen, Peter steps out of the boat, walks on water. And I've heard so, it's Church, it's time to walk on water. Who's ready to walk on water? Everybody said, well, listen, well, everyone has memorized walk on water. Have you ever seen someone walk on water? Everyone, I've heard people say, yeah, you can't control if you walk on water, but you gotta, you gotta get out of the boat. I've heard that sermon. Who, who's ready to get out of the boat? It's like, oh man, yes. And we whip us up ourselves into a frenzy. Who's gonna walk? Woo! And then, I mean, everyone jumps up. Yes, preacher, yeah, walk. I'm jumping out of the boat. When's the last time you saw someone jump out of the boat? <laughs> I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm just saying the person I have seen do this so many times is my wife. It doesn't always go well. Sometimes she's like, I'm stepping out, and she just sinks. You know, like that totally happens. And there's most of us who are like, you'll never see me do that. But Ruth has decided that she's a disciple, and disciples are people who do exactly what Jesus would do in their body because he is. And I have watched her in hospice rooms with dead bodies. And I would see her lips begin to quiver and tears begin to come with compassion for the family. But something inside of her, she's looking at Jesus. She's thinking and processing. Wait, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Jesus said the dead can be raised. And I'll watch Ruthie. And in my mind, I'm like, don't even do, no, 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 don't do this. No, 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 don't, no, don't step out of the boat. I mean, let's be honest. There's a pretty big, when you do step out of the boat, it is always wildly uncomfortable. I know it sounds good in preaching. The only place stepping out of the boat sounds cool is in here. 
You get into real world, it's never good. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm trying to get her attention. She purposely wouldn't look at me. She was not looking at me. Goes over, asks the, the parent of the child that's died, lays down on a dead body, and prays for life to come back to that child. The child didn't rise. I think most of the family ended up giving their life to the Lord at the funeral. So, But I sat there in the room stunned when I watched. I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I could count on one hand how many humans I've ever met that I think would even... When I was talking to family later, I was like, what was it? Because there was family from other countries that are watching this. I'm like, what was going through your mind? They said, whatever her experience is, she expects that that happens. I was in the room with her in South America when the leader of a country was up at the altar after I had preached. I preached my message. I was done. Amen. Amen. And there were people asking for prayer, and some people were like this. <sighs> I'm like, Ruthie, come help me pray. And I thought she was going to pray for these people. The, <sighs> and there was one guy that was kind of, he wasn't at the altar. He was just sitting there, and he looked angry, maybe violent. And Ruthie walks up to him. He was a lot taller than her, leader of this country. She says, you need to get free. You're... <laughs> You're tormented, and Jesus wants to set you free. And I'm cringing. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> I'm like, isn't his body language telling you? She says this to him. His whole cat, he goes like this. He's dropped. He was liberated <laughs> right there. Ends up inviting us over to his house. He's got this mansion. He invites us to his house. He says, every time you're in our country, you, come, you stay at my house. You take one of my cars, drive anywhere you want to go. I can tell you guys, hey, church, let's go step out of the boat. I can't tell you how many people I've watched her step out of the boat. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to sink, and sometimes you're going to walk on water. You'll never know unless you step out. Here's what I'm telling you. I've heard a 1,000 sermons. I've seen like this many people put into action because Jesus said, teach them not to believe in it alone. Teach them not to be able to quote the verses. Teach them not just to talk about it at Bible studies where you break down. Well, the Greek word of, of walking on water was really this word that when we translate it means walking. You know, it's very interesting. You know, we walk, you walk, I walk, we all walk. And it's an interesting Greek word. And, and there's this other word, agape. And I love, I, I think Jesus was just, at some point, the question is, are you ever going to walk the talk? This week, I was in a room with a group of ministry and business leaders, and, and there was this one guy that was in the room. His name was Ray, and in his mid-70s, and at one point, uh, he was just, we were praying for different people, and, and he just began to go on this little deal about this stage of his life. Very successful man, but he spoke of the privilege it is for him, and his voice was gentle, and his heart was sincere, and his face was lit up with joy and a peace that was very authentic. He says, you know, it's, my wife has Alzheimer's. So I spend four or five hours a day having to take care of my wife. And it's just such a privilege to care for my bride and to love her. And it's just such an honor. There's a, there's a level of intimacy we have now that I never knew when, she, when all of her faculties were there and the way that I'm getting to know Jesus and the way that I'm getting to know her. And it was, it was 
frankly stunning as I'm hearing him describe this. My heart was so warm because I've heard many sermons about love your wives as Christ has loved the church, but I was in a room where I watched a man who is loving his wife as Christ has loved this, I mean, this part of the bride so very well. How do, how do we make disciples? By going, by baptizing, by teaching. Mike, what's the application today? Are you going? Because if you're not, I want you to go. Are you going? Sometimes it's just that same Publix, that same grocery store you've already been going to. Wait a little while longer to get in the same lane with the same person that you already prayed for and do it again. Are you going? Are you stepping out of that boat when you're at a restaurant and you see someone on crutches and something in your heart just feels tender for their, their broken ankle? What if you prayed for their ankle? Are you going? Is there a, is, is there a heart of, of compassion that you have for, for people to get baptized? Are you praying for your grandchildren, for your children, for your roommates, for your neighbor? Are you even praying that your next door neighbor will be baptized? Church, let's just get clear. If people don't need, meet Jesus, they're in danger. There's no way around this. And I don't just mean like a, a, a nice, easy, easy believism, American gospel. I'm saying the real gospel of go get baptized, die with Jesus, so you can rise with Jesus. Are you praying for that? Microchurches, are you guys praying for baptisms in your microchurch? And are you teaching? Are you teaching people to stop gossiping? Are you teaching people? Are you reproducing a love for your neighbor, a love for your enemies? Are we reproducing a love for the immigrant, a love for the foreigner? Are we reproducing a heart of compassion for those that don't have anything, that we would reflect the ways of Jesus, that if they're naked, we clothe them, if they're blind, we lead them, if they're hungry, we feed them, if they're thirsty, we give them drink, if they're naked, we give them those clothes that maybe take the clothes off our own back. Is there that kind of a reckless abandon in our heart? Because if there is, Jesus said, and lo, by the way, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think about the story that I heard Dick Brogdon describe, David Livingston, who had lived his life for God. His wife had died. He'd spent so many years on the mission field. Um, his left arm was useless from a, an attack from a lion, and, and he was speaking to a group of students. His, here, here he was doing this life, and he says, shall I tell you of what it is that kept me all those years when I was on the mission field? What is it that kept me on the mission field? What is it that kept me doing this? He said, it was the promise of a gentleman. The promise of a gentleman, the gentleman of the most sacred honor, when he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When David Livingston died, they found him kneeling in his village right by his cot. His Bible was open to Matthew chapter 28, and in the margin, scrolled in some weak and feeble handwriting was, the promise of a gentleman. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Hey, disciples, you are somebody who has decided I'm gonna live exactly like Jesus would if he was in my body because he made a promise and he is. So how shall we live now?